Hello and welcome to this episode of the Reset Podcast. I'm your host, Larman Yo. This is part of my 29 Days of Magic series where I get to interview an amazing Black woman every single day in the month of February for Black History Month. And this episode, I am super delighted to have Esme Akoro, who's the Global Chief Client and Culture Strategy Officer here at VML. Uh, she's an amazing story, and I want you to take an amazing listening to what she has to say. Hi, Esme. How are you? Hello, Laura. I am doing well. How are you? You know, I'll just interview people once in a while, a lot, <laughs> over the course of a few weeks. You know, small stuff. Small stuff in oh. Black History Month. We love to see it. In this leap year, we will take the 29 days. <laughs> Thank you. We'll take the 29 days. Like, that's how everyone knows that this campaign got started in the leap year, because it wasn't 28 days of magic. It was 29 days of magic. Yep. Because yep. um, every day matters. So I'm so delighted to have you on the podcast. And first question, always same, answer is always delightful. And I'm sure yours would be no different. So, Esmond, what was your first job? Oh, my very first job was working at McDonald's. Um, And I was probably, I think, 15, maybe, 15 or 16. And when I tell you I absolutely loved it, (laughs) seriously, it was... (laughs) It was such a great time. I worked there with my best friend from high school, and um, and we used to do the drive-through and the cashier. It was just a good time. It was a nice time to have a little bit of money in your pocket, be able to show family that you were you had a sense of independence and responsibility. But then also to the team morale that we were just able to build with the people that worked there was super fun as well, too. And we what we always loved is when we were in a shift together, which, of course, the managers ended that pretty quickly because we were having too much fun at work. Um, And then another thing, too, that I loved is like we love being I love being um, like shift manager, like shift lead, obviously too young to be like the manager, but shift lead. Um, at that point as well, too. So that was super fun. And then fast forward, how many years later, ended up getting a scholarship to a university via McDonald's. So with their dream foundation. Yeah. So I love, I love that, that connected kind of uh, 360. Yep. So that was my first job. (laughs) Wow. So I'm guessing, so wait, what is your favorite thing to eat at McDonald's then? Because you have to still love McDonald's. Well, so that's the thing. Then you get slighted and you get biased. You're like, oh, I don't want that. Oh, I want that. Well, you have like special orders. But I think I love the French fries and the apple pies. Right there with you. Yeah. Can I tell you? The apple pies, they've changed it a little bit, but it's still just, you know, it's a comfort. It makes me think about being a little kid again. Yeah. Um, and yeah, no. Fries, who can go ever wrong with it? Listen, I I built my whole business having wanted French fries, and I think it's because <laughs> I was obsessed with McDonald's French fries when I was a little kid. Because um, yeah. every Saturday, my family would go there um, as like a kind of like treat for us um, when we first arrived in the country. And I just remember my mom always makes a joke that one day I'm going to own a McDonald's franchise. <laughs> because <laughs> Never know. It's never too late. Never know. Like, look, the world is like, if you, if you had told me five years ago I'd be having this conversation with you, I would be like, no way. So, like, yeah, anything could be possible. All right. Some hot fries so we, and a hot apple pie. I'm telling you, it, it, it will, it will, it will get you. It will get you right when you need to be. When you need it, it, it always hits the spot. It tastes like home, always and forever. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. So you get 
you get to be awesome at the drive-through at McDonald's, and then you amazingly get a scholarship through McDonald's right in Foundation. And now you're talking to me. What was the journey like in between to get us together having this conversation today? Mm, I mean, the journey had a lot of ups and downs, roller coasters. Um, I think very unconventional, um, and but very deliberate. So I think that growing up, I'm Nigerian by birth. My parents are Nigerian. We grew. We I was born in Nigeria. Came to the U.S. at the tender age of six. Um, didn't go back until I was 18, and I think that that was the first of a transformation for me in my life. Um, and then my freshman year of college at Howard University, I lost my mom, and that was the be- that was the second biggest transformation in my life. Um, so going to Nigeria at 18 and very different. We talk about Nigeria in, a, in Africa in a very different way then that we talk about it now. So now, you know, we're just coming out of the Grammys that aired on TV and there was a whole section um, category for best African um, album or song. You know, that that was not happening. Burner Boy performed on the main stage, making history, that was not happening then. So going to Nigeria at 18 was huge. and for me, it realized the level of privilege that I had being in America and, and living there. And um, also up, up until that time, I went by my middle name a lot, which is Christine, um, because when you're in the U.S. and you're young, you want to conform. You want to be like everyone else. You don't want to be the different kid. And, and I didn't want to be different. And I think that going to that trip made me appreciate my culture a lot more. Um, so I came back telling everybody, I was like, oh, we have to go by Esene now. Like, that's the name. Yep. This is how you pronounce it. I will remind you every single time. Um, wow. no, it's, no, <laughs> right. No, so it's from not 12, so, from, so from six to, to 18, you went by Christine because you're just like, I hate these people. Yeah. Went by Christine. I mean, in school and stuff, like I'm documented as Esene, but like people that were talking to me and stuff was really Christine. So if people, so if, if I met someone today and then it's like, oh, my God, Christine, I, I know where they met me in life. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, yeah, so anyway, so that completely changed everything, appreciated every, you know, my name and culture more. And mind you, we were homes, like, you know, like we, like they speak Igbo, which is our native language, and, at the house. We ate African food, we went to African parties, you know, but then when I went outside, it was like, I'm Christine. Um, so it was a very balancing of like these two worlds that I'm trying to live into. Uh, so, you know, fast forward, I lost my mom. I guess at that point I was probably what, like 1920-ish or something like that. I don't know, whatever, however old you are when the average person starts college. And at that point, um, I was like, oh, I'm not going back to school. I'm, I'm dropping out. I'm, I'm devastated. I need to figure this out. And, and all these things. And then, you know, talking to my family, I realized that my mom would want nothing more than for me to excel in in school. And she had a business background and everyone else in the family is really like in medical services of of some sorts. So, um, you know, so I, I, I focused on that and I, and I made her proud and I was an accounting major and just knew I wanted to be in business of, of some way. Like I just need to be in business. I, you know, accounting was just kind of like the foundation of that. Um, loved being at Howard at the Mecca. <clears throat> and really at that point, I like I think probably uh, junior year in high school, 
I really just blossomed. I think really coming from that trip from Nigeria, I really just blossomed into part of who you're seeing today, just more sure of herself, more aware, um, understanding the privilege that I see, but also the microaggressions that I deal with and trying to take all those things head on. In in those younger years of being called Christine, it was very super insecure, um, more shy, really, just not wanting to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing and not have any friends. So I was a lot more reserved, I think now, a lot more outspoken and understanding where I come from and where I'm trying to go and, and realizing that I make an impact just for being in the room and for young girls that look like me coming from inner city, going to a public school, all the things that they, the stereotypes that they think of when they think of some of that. And I'm like knocking against all of those things. And and that continues to be my vision, mission, and what drives me to do good is realizing that I probably, in some people's minds, would not have been here. Um, and then I'm trying to think what else is worth highlighting. And then I think too is, is so how I kind of got to where I am career wise is so, so you imagine, so I'm this young, bright girl at Howard University campus, taking in all of the culture and everything that comes with Howard, pledge of sorority. So did all those things, did all the traditional things. You did all the things. Yes. Did all the traditional things that you're like, okay, yes. The black college experience. Yep. That was me. I was, I was all into that. And then um, I landed a job at my first professional job at PricewaterhouseCoopers and um, knew pretty quickly. Uh, and I appreciate that I have that type of hindsight. Knew pretty quickly I wouldn't be there long. So I was there for about a year and a half. I was doing auditing, accounting stuff, compliance. And then I got an opportunity to work at MTV, which is where the bulk of my career sits. Um, and MTV really opened up my eyes to uh, how you can support a business outside of your role. And that's usually what I try to tell people. Like, don't worry about what, you know, you started off sharing like my titles. Like, don't worry about what the title is. I can tell you all the things that I can impact and how I can weave in strategy with culture and um, and people in order to drive growth for a business. I mean, and that's what I do and, and make an impact in the community as well, too. So at MTV, I had a plethora of roles from business strategy to auditing, compliance work, system implementation. So I did a little bit of technology work there as well, too, and then ended up in change management. Um, and change management was where I think was like the career change. And in change management, what I was doing was supporting with the system implementation of SAP and what I what I realized is I love the people and organization element of that. So organizational design, um, people strategy. So went to get a master's at NYU, focus on organizational leadership and readiness, which then led to um, having a role as the head of diversity and inclusion for H&M. And I was the first to sit in that role and that capacity. And, and I loved it because it brought in like my passion, personal favorites of fashion um, into the workplace. So again, I'm tapping into this new industry and into this new way of working and dealing with like people that work at a store, you know, and a, and a, and, a, um, and that was completely new and trying to infuse culture into um, a store employee, you know, and then how's that different? It's very different than all of us that are working in like a corporate, you know, office setting, two very different dynamics and a challenging period. Um, but interestingly, 
when I got to H&M, I knew pretty, pretty quickly that I won't be there for long. Um, so oh, again, really? that, yeah. So again, yeah. that insight. What was in. the reason for that? Well, I, I think it's, I think it's, mm, Laura, I think the thing is, I have a standard of where I want to work and what I want to do. And if that standard yeah. is not being met, just from the integrity of me, regardless of what you pay me, I'm not, I'm just not going to make it there long because I'm compromising things that I don't necessarily stand for. And, and I think the challenge with H&M is, um, is, is, is a sweet, it's, it's a Swedish company. Like that's where it was born. And, it, and those, and that identity credit to them, which is a good thing, truly infuses in the entire organization. But I think the challenge with that, though, is that I don't think that they were truly open for change and for the influence that the U.S. and China has to their business. The U.S. and the China are their biggest markets. And if those are your biggest markets and the markets that are creating the revenue for you, you kind of you need to listen to them. <laughs> you need to think about what's happening from a culture perspective in those countries. And that will potentially change how you think of it and how it's happening in Sweden. So it's, it being the HQ, being in Stockholm, but then Stockholm was probably like number like six or maybe even seven from a revenue perspective, because it's not the biggest. Um, and then I think just their philosophy on management, on promotions, equitable pay, I often felt like I was the smartest in the room and, 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 you know, I have goals, I have goals, I have ambitions. And I think for me, I needed a larger challenge, a larger strategical challenge, let's say that. Right. So I think the work of itself was challenging because you're dealing with the cultures, like I just mentioned, but I think from like a business strategic perspective, it wasn't fueling me in the way that I would have wanted more long-term for the long-term goals that I would want. So I was like, okay, this is not really going to be a long, a, la a long-term thing, but I'm here. I'm committed. I will do what I need to do was giving my recommendations. And as I expected, some of it was falling flatter than I would have wanted. And I have to over like prove, prove, and prove. Um, and I'm like, no, I'm intelligent. I'm giving you sound <laughs> advice and information. And if this is not the road that you're going to go, then this is probably not going to be the road for me. And and then just and then that takes me to where we are today, where then I had the opportunity to come and work for Wonderman Thompson, now part of VML, um, in the capacity of leading as their uh, chief diversity officer globally. And and I'll, I'll be honest to say I was very hesitant because um because I, I think that the role of of the title, let's say, of chief diversity officer can sometimes be a bit limiting to what I can offer. And I, in, in, in talking to our then CEO about that, I was super clear. So like, I have a vision. This is the autonomy that I need. This is the budget that I need. This is the team that I need. And she was very supportive of those things. And it was super clear, which is why it worked well. And I think it, at VML, it's kind of the same type of conversation is, I want to be able to influence and impact the larger business. And, and I think that for me, if I sat at a diversity title, I think that that would be a, a bit limiting to what I can offer, what SNA can offer. So it was, you know, it was kind of part design. I said, okay, well, what else do you want to touch? What else do you want to be involved in? And then that's how we get to the where we are today. So I'm hoping that, um, I hope that that story can be a, uh, 
uh, inspiration to anyone that really you can't pivot, right? But I think it's pivoting with strategy, pivoting, understanding your value and understanding how it can be an asset to a business. So not just saying, oh, I want this role because you think it sounds nice or it's sexy or it's going to get into these right rooms. Like, no, but what can you truly contribute? But it's possible. It's possible. I think when the door opens, go in, go in headstrong um, and be be open to the fact that you may not know everything, but um, be comfortable in that exploration of what that can offer without having to chase titles, accolades, and all those things, but really understanding where can you provide value to the business and then walk into those steps. I think that's so important. And thank you so much for sharing that. Because like, you know, if it's not for you, bounce. I think sometimes folks are like, oh, I'm going to try and make it work. Like, you know the vibe and you know the feeling and you know yourself. And if you walk into something, no matter how much they're paying you, and 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 if it it doesn't sit right with you, you can't do it, because it's not going to bring up the best in you at the end mm-hmm. of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and we spend so much time, like you know, where we're employed, whether you're an entrepreneur or or you're working on behalf of a company. So it's like, where do you want to spend your time? And and at some point, yes, you know, there's bills and all those things. So I'm definitely not telling anyone to just be like, all right, I'm out, bye. <laughs> Right, right. Because I definitely did not do that. (laughs) But I think in every transition, I I would 99% sure that my manager was not surprised that I left. Because those are the type of very clear conversations that I was having and, and telling them like, okay, I need more of this, or can we try this? Or I'm not seeing myself hear this. And actually, I want you to help me and sponsor me, introduce me to people to get me an opportunity. So I think we I've, I've established those relationships because um, I want to make sure my managers look good. You know, I want them to to excel as well too, and they have their own ambitions as well too. So if I can help them with their ambitions and they can help me with mine, it's it's a win win. But it's it's having that level of professionalism and clarity to be able to speak to them and say like, this is not, this is probably not going to work for me long-term, but here's, here's what I can do. Here's what I can provide. And here's what I want. Um, here's what I'm asking for you to help me do with. And it's so important. Again, I think sometimes folks don't understand the importance of clarity and mm-hmm. saying that, Oh, well, I'm afraid to ask. Oh, I, I don't, I'm, you know, I'm just here. I'm just, I don't get fined or lose my job versus I need to have an honest conversation about what I need to do in order for me to be successful to stay here. Yeah. And I think in a post-pandemic universe, you know, we all kind of know what we will and will no longer to- tolerate because we, we yes. all were able to stay at home for two years. <laughs> and think about it. <laughs> exactly. Like, yes. it's in your head. You were, like, yeah. looking at the wall being like, wow, this does not work for me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's so, so true. It's so true. And I think, too, is, yeah, I think the pandemic really opened up the eyes because I think people realize then, I think fortunately, I think I already knew because of some of those things that had happened to my life early on, but people were really identifying like their purpose. Like, what is my purpose? And if and if my workplace is not really aligning to that purpose or doesn't allow me the, um, the bandwidth to be able to exercise that purpose, then I don't know if I want to be there anymore, right? And so I think it's, it's, it's trying to find that marriage between your purpose and what's paying you. 
And that's the only way that we will a- we will be able to be mentally well, because like I said, we spend so much time working. So we need to figure out, like, do I like the people that I work with? Like, um, can I deal with them every day? And granted, listen, I don't like every single person. I don't, right? But <laughs> it's enough mm-hmm. where I'm like, I'm good. Like, I, I am good. I, I, um, I see where my contributions are. I feel valued. I feel heard. Um, and I think that those things go a long way, even if things are like rocky or shaky, or maybe you're not at the best title, or maybe you don't have the best budget you wanted. Um, but there has to be some, some considerations to some of those things that you do want, unless you're just not going to make it there. And then that's okay. You don't have to. You don't have to. I, I think that's the thing. You can say no, you can walk away. You can try and do something different. Um, and again, I think the pandemic has played a huge part of this. So, you know, thinking about all the stuff that you've been able to do, especially in, you know, your various roles in the last few years, talk to me about the time you had a challenge where you're like, there's no way you're going to get to the, through this, and then you did. Mm. Uh, I'm actually, I'm going to cite it back to, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about H&M because I think that, I think sometimes I I'm, I have the tendency of just letting things roll off my back. I'm like, oh, whatever. I don't even I don't even want to go there. But I think it's, I think it's worth sharing in, in the context that you just brought up the question. And if I lean back to um to 2020, which was a hard year, and I remember being on some leadership calls, and then like I would just text somebody and be like, oh yeah, no, today's not the day. I'm not gonna get on that call. Like I'm just not gonna do it because I had to make sure that my wellness was prioritized. And it was days that we were dealing when when we when we knew this thing was actually called COVID, um, and we were shutting down or in the process of shutting down with the then with the then um, president of the US and the way that he was delivering news. So it was so much uncertainty. And like I mentioned, at H&M, we have the employees that obviously work in the office, but then we have those employees that work in the store. And when you are at a table, when we're discussing the wellness of employees at a store and whether or not you're gonna close the store, are they gonna come in? Are you providing? hazardous pay for them the people that are are we going to keep the office open do are we going to require people i know some of that sounds foreign now like are you going to keep the office open because offices have been closed we've been working from home but remember at that time everyone was going to the office every single day so now it's like is the office actually going to be open are you going to make people go in are you going to furlough people and that was, i think it was the first time too hearing about furloughs in a corporate organization and not just in the government um, so it was challenging. It was such a challenging part of my career, especially because, too, mind you, before H&M, I was at MTV, Viacom, now Paramount, CBS. I was not in HR. I was never in HR. So now we're talking about very specific HR questions. But the good thing that we did is that we invited multiple stakeholders in the room. So it wasn't just like the HR team making these decisions. I I was there from that inclusion equity experience because the majority of our employees in the in the stores are people of color and they come from different social economic groups as well too so it's very very different from the representation we had in the office so it, it's not one for one at all just from a diversity perspective so needed to think about that as well and then like a lot of our revenue was also coming from the office 
I mean, excuse me, was coming from the stores. So whole nother factor to put in. So it was challenging in the sense of very different opinions. So if we think about someone that's specifically in growth, like they are managing sales. So they're looking at it from like, if you close the offices, this is how much money we're going to, I mean, if you close the stores, this is how much money you're going to lose. Then you have like employee relations and, you know, dealing with like the, the, they had unions then union people that represent in unions like okay well if we're gonna be here you need to add this pay then you have the cfo is like well we can't add any pay because we're already talking about losing sales so literally and then i'm here like well we can't have people of color risking their lives to keep your stores open and then we're not compensating them for something or we're not providing them with something like what is our level of assurance and wellness because they're going through it they may have families that are actually being diagnosed i mean you know having covid right now we don't even know what covid is but all we do is see people dying so it was super challenging to manage through all of those opinions and then ultimately make decisions that are impacting like direct individuals and I will never forget where we were on the call. I think what I was talking about before with some of the leaders in the um, at the HQ office in Sweden and and the part of it, like they just didn't get like they didn't get. And then I think at, the, at that point, too, we were we were we just televised the merger of George Floyd. So then, so now you're adding this on top of it again. Like I said, the store employees are mostly people of color, so a lot of people were just like outright stores were being vandalized, or you know, employees themselves were protesting against working, just like the way that wow. protests were happening across the world. So you're managing through all those things. So it's like, what do you say to them? You know, what? Do, how do you assure them? How do you ensure their safety? How do you tell them, yes, you have the constitutional right to protest, but your shift starts right now, but they want to go protest. So what, what are you doing? You know, like, how do you support and that outrage? And then especially me being a woman, a Black woman, also completely understanding their outrage and wanting to be at the front lines with them and encouraging them. You know what? They don't want to get keep, they don't want to give you the day off. Walk out. Walk out. You have that right. So it was a, it was a very, talk about, <laughs> you know, being a, a leader and being in the leadership team, but then also being just like a, a a citizen of the world and understanding that and then going through my own rage and disappointment. So it it was a lot. It was a lot that that period of time. I'm I know a lot of people went through a lot of things, but I will have to give my hats off to people that are managing people like at the front lines, at the stores, at that was not an easy thing to do. And then again, so I'm here on the calls with leaders in, in Sweden, especially after the murder, murder of George Floyd. And they're like, oh, well, this is a very isolated situation in the U.S. And I'm like, oh, Lord. I'm like, no, the hell is that? <laughs> oh, Lord. Mercy. I was like, no, the hell is that? Like, are y'all not, are you not watching the same clips that I, yes, you may not feel it in Sweden, but I see it in the UK. I see it in Paris. Germany, I see it in like all your neighboring countries is happening, right? Like people are actively protesting. So maybe where you are and where your headquarters is, you didn't see it, but it's happening. So I kid you not, when that person made that call, I mean, made that statement, I had to 
talk to my CEO. I was like, I can never be on the phone with that person ever again. And we need to have a conversation with that person because that was completely inappropriate and not and insensitive. And it was challenging managing through that. Like I said, like I have had my fair share of micro and and micro aggressions, but that one was just like just blatantly just and I, and then I and I literally told a, a couple of leaders in the U.S. and in Sweden as well. I was like, well, if you have leaders that are saying comments like that, you all would never get anywhere. You're lit- and this person was very influential, not the CEO or anything like that, but very influential. And I'm like, you will never get anywhere ever. Like you're just, you won't get anywhere. So that was the challenge of time. But the way that, so the upside of all of this, how I was able to get through it is being very vocal, understanding that that I I had rights, that I had, a, I can express my opinion and not be shy about it. Because what I also learned and said to myself repeatedly during that time, if you at your big age, at your big title cannot address it and, and confront them, how is someone in the store going to be able to do that? So I had to address all those things head on. And the good thing is like, they listened. I mean, they listened. We were in numerous conversations. How can we fix this? What we can do? I was in every single call you can think of, <laughs> which was t- very time consuming. But um, but I think they knew then that they did not have the answers and they could not mess it up. Um, so definitely a value added my contributions there. But then I think at that time was it really, really, really cemented it. I mean, that, that I needed to leave. Um, and I did. I love that for you. Yeah. Um, because, yeah. And also, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. I know. I know. Sometimes I don't even go through all of this because it's so it's so much to unpack. Woo. Those I mean, months was Lord, that is a lot of that. I hope you had a lot of therapy posts because Jesus, the PTSD. I'll tell you, those months was something. But the, but they're doing H and M is doing them. They're doing much better. I guess they have my notes. They they, 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 they saw your notes. They, and, they saw and my like, notes. Oh, Oh, observing report, observing report. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah. Uh-huh. So talk about Good making your footprint, right? You know, making your footprint and leaving your your mark and your legacy. I'm I'm happy to, and there's no hate there. I'm happy to see that they're progressing and and they're doing better in the world. But it was it was, and then so so just to give you more context, this was just this was just 2020. I think I think when COVID news started coming up was about March ish. I think they finally like closed airports because I remember I had a trip like mid March. So prior to that, I was already like, oh, this is just not going to work with these people. <laughs> <laughs> so th- this was just then this was just like oh this is this is the peak because I was like okay well maybe if I have some more conversations and if I can do a thing or two maybe we can last like at least five years but no 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 after that I was like okay I'm I'm done yeah so so actually before I joined Wendell and Thompson I was I was going on sabbatical um j- because of all that stuff yeah I was um, like I just need justifiably yeah. so girl yeah. My, my <laughs> Yeah. So now you can understand my bit of a hesitation when Mel Edwards calls me and like, hey, are you we would love for you to come to Wonderman Thompson? I'm like, oh good, oh goodness, to do what? Like, I was like, what exactly is that gonna look like? Yeah, I was like, what is that gonna look like? That's why we had to have several conversations as to what that even looks like. 
um, because I wanted to be super clear. You know, I learned, and and that's what this is all about. It's all about learning and doing better. And I and I learned from the H and M experience. And I'm sure people on the outside like, I can't believe she left H and M. Yep, because all that glitters is not gold. So like, you learn and then you move on. That's that's the key part about all of this. Yep. And I think it's just um, a part of the story you have to tell. And yeah. honestly, thank you for your candor, because I think this is also part of the story where oftentimes we hear these stories, we see these things about, oh, Black women getting these big jobs, and then they leave. And you're like, oh, I see, this is a perfect action hire. They can't really cut it, blah, blah, blah. I was like, do you have any idea of the foolishness? No. Right, right. Right. Um, right. And it's so interesting you bring that up. Yeah, because I think people send me headlines all the time. And when I was seeing the recent um, departures of some of the uh, senior women, black women specifically, that were leaving uh, diversity led roles. And, and I and I, you know, people text. I'm like, they're like, oh, my God. Like, what's that? It's not a conspiracy. It was like, <laughs> you know, you go through these you go through it and each of them are not in the same exact space and are not in the same reasons for why they left. Right. I think like the headlines spin this big story as to like, yes, there's a lot of stress that comes with the job. There's a lot of pushing and all those things. But, you know, I, I think some people are like reached a point where there's like, okay, well, I've done all I can do. And now it's time for me to go explore something else, you know? And and I think that that was also part of, I mean, aside from that specific stuff that was happening with like COVID and racial lines, I think for me, I knew early on, like, okay, I, I've done all that I can do for them. Someone else needs to then take it from here. And and I, and I that's okay, right? It's, it's not about anyone being pushed out. It's not about them feeling like they it's not like they were weak or they weren't or they weren't supported no they did what they can do with the capacity that they were given and now they're going to do something else and that's completely fine with them and and that's the bottom line and again you have to again we did not survive a pandemic to play small Mm -hmm. or to accept things the way we are and if it's if it doesn't serve me bye Mm -hmm. (laughs) straight up Like you can't, you can't do anything more than that. You can't expect people to do more than that. You know, I often, you know, say this thing when like, oh, you know what, black women are like superheroes. No, we are not. Right. We're not from <laughs> Krypton. Like you're from Nigeria. I am from England. We are not from another superhero planet. That means that we can t- put mountains on our back and have the whole weight of a world on it, on our shoulders at all times. Yeah. yeah. It's going to happen. <laughs> and we have to be we have to be honest about that and yeah. it's hard sometimes for us we're like oh we want to make things right do the thing like, yeah no fine so <laughs> i appreciate that you, you you about your honesty about that and kind of circling towards this now since you've gone on done all this and you've made you know you know you've had a really awesome transition into something new here in the land of, of uh, wonderman national vml what do you do for your self-care Ooh, I I I binge watch TV. I sometimes I'm like I don't even know how I even have time to watch these programs, but I watch them and then I doze off, which is fantastic. <laughs> um, so I also so I binge watch I binge watch on just different series. Most of them are like drama or like those like history ancient type of movies. Um, if you think about like um The Crown or Netflix or something like that. And then the other thing, too, is I love to visit rooftops. 
Okay. So, because I love an ambiance and a scene, so if I can visit the, the the quote unquote best rooftops or the hidden rooftops in a city, I love that. And then lastly, I have a regular um like massage treatment, and that's really my time to like I completely unplug, uh, listening to like nice jazz instrumental music. Um, and allowing like my body to be recharged and my blood circulation, oxygen levels. So that's um, it's a favorite time of mine to be able to do that. I try to do it on a regular basis if I can. So those are my three self-care, very, okay, very so different things. Yes. OK, so I'm with you in the massage. Yeah. Um, the rooftop. So you can't just say you love rooftops and then not say what your favorite rooftop is. Oh my God, do I even have a favorite? There's so many. Um, it depends on the city. Okay, so one that I love is Amsterdam. There's a hotel there called the Consortium and they have like a rooftop and they have a garden. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, ooh, what's a good one in New York? A good one in New York. They always change the names, but um, an obvious one is the Moxie, um, but there's another one, Elise, Elise, I think is what it's called. Oh, Elsie. Elsie, Elsie. Yes. yes, that's one of my faves. Yes, Elsie is a fantastic one, and it's and it's still a little low key sometimes. Um, but yeah, I was well, I think it's probably not as frequent as like a Moxie, but um, yes, Elsie is amazing. Yeah. Um, I might know the owners and I may have a party or seven there. So oh, yes. <laughs> we almost did our wedding there, but I can't remember our wedding reception. I but I think I think this the space was a little too unconventional um than what we when we had envisioned. We were a little bit more traditional. I mean we didn't do like a a ballroom with like a carpet. Um <laughs> but we but we did go to like another hotel in Staten Island. But they were on my top list. Oh, Oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah, I've known the owners for from before they opened it, and oh, nice. it, it has it it is a an epic place. I I threw a big milestone birthday party there and took over the whole place oh. right before COVID. Nice, is funny. I remember being like, and then when everything shut down, I'm like, Laura, you threw a last party ever, didn't you? I'm like, yeah, well, when I look back. <laughs> You know what's so funny? I I was telling someone too, because someone was looking for a birthday location for a milestone party. I was like, you need to just do that place. You need to buy it out. <laughs> I was yeah. hyping them. I was like, you need to just buy it out. It's perfect. Yeah, no, it's it's a I I I really really like it. Oh, that's okay. So I need to know to hit you. Oh, yeah, you of course you know all the places anyway. <laughs> I mean, if I didn't, I like how would I have my job? Girl? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. You know. Um, all the okay, time. so you're on the Crown. What season are you on? The most recent season of the Crown? I just finished it. Yep. So I'm, uh, I guess the series is done. Yeah. I enjoy yeah. It. Well, although I mean, with the news, the news about King Charles today, like they have to do one more season. Oh yeah, I I literally just saw that news as, as I was walking over here to get the like, with you. Lord. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Like, all the new, it's just, it's a, it's a time. All the yeah. It's a time. I'm currently on, I just, just started, but Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which I guess is the oh, remake. The remake, on, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Gambish, uh, Childish Gambino, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. I actually have started watching For All Mankind mm -hmm. on Apple TV. Yeah. And, like, is this good? is like an underrated 
gem. I had no idea. Hmm. I'm going to put that on my list because I was, I was looking at it, but I was like, "Ah, I don't know if this is for me. Um, it's peak white nonsense, (laughs) similar to the crown. Okay. It's a space race, but it is kind of, it is really interesting. It does kind of hook you in because you're like, wait a minute, what would have happened if these things did happen? Because the whole thing is like, you know, a few subtle changes in who the president is and Mm -hmm. how the future, especially how the future for women looks. And like, Mm -hmm. it is, it is very intriguing to see what, you know, again, some slight changes in history end up changing everything and what that means for the world, what it means for race relations, but the, even how it doesn't change race relations with all these other advancements um, is, is really interesting and fascinating. And so, yeah, I, my friend told me about it a couple of weeks ago and I started watching it. I was like, what? It? And like, oh, wait, this reminds me of Succession all over again, where it's like, big white nonsense. And yeah. I'm into it. <laughs> I was I, I was an avid watcher of Secession as well, so yes, I'm I'm into all of it. <laughs> uh, and it's like, listen, because there was so many joke recently that like there should have been a Byron Allen type character in Succession. I'm like, mm-hmm. that actually is an interesting critique because I feel like it was good there were no black people involved because we're like y'all are all so messy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, but it's like, what 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 kind of different series would it have been if if you had the Alexander Starsgard character as well as a Byron Allen style character, both aiming for uh, ATN, right, uh, and, right, and yeah, what yeah. that would have, yeah, and and how that would have matched up with the kids and uh, with the dad and everything. So, um, yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like Roman would have lost his money if he had to do a black man. So, <laughs> right, you're poor. I really <laughs> you. So true. So, and the reason why that's because because sometimes when I say that that's my self care thing, people are like, "Wait, what?" And I'm like, because for me, it's brainless. Like, I'm not. It's there's brainless. no thought. There's no thought no there. I'm literally watching at my leisure. Um, I love like semiography and just kind of looking at like how things are built and like you know guessing if things are AI or I you know I love film, the production of film. So it kind of sparks the, that creativity in me as well, too. So, and I like to see like how the costumes are. So, no, bring this. Yeah. I mean, the costumes, the clothes. I yes. Mean, all about all of that stuff. Yes. Okay, yes. Um, that's why I love Bridgerton because that is just most like, what? Yes. <laughs> Those costumes are just beyond. Um, so, last question for you. Do you have a give and or ask of the audience? Ooh, I do. <laughs> um, so my give, I, I like to give first. My give is one, I want to do one thing I want to do this year, and I haven't really put the framework together, but if anyone is listening, <laughs> I am, I do want to dedicate a couple of hours a month to talk to uh, people, men, women, young, old, doesn't matter, about just career opportunities, pivoting, transition, making impact, or just kind of like figuring themselves out in the workplace. Uh, and, and personally, too, I don't talk too much about my personal life, but I mean, that's also a thing <laughs> as well. And I want to give that time because I think that people have 
important to me so much in in different ways. And I want to be a bit more intentional about that. And I used to do that a lot before, but life changes. So I'm going to kind of get back into that. So what I want to give is a gift of time. So if any, and this not not taking any pitch calls. It's not a pitch. If you're selling something, not interested. Um, this is truly just for people to be like, I wish I could just ask somebody about this, or I wish I can learn how they went from A to B or whatever that can be. So I want to give time. Um, and what I ask is, I ask for people, especially those that may be like, journalists, entrepreneurs, podcasters, um, even influencers, et cetera, just, just really anyone to give more grace to people that are in roles of influence and of power, especially those that are asked upon to lead diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in any aspect. Um, it's not an easy thing to do. And I think sometimes you get feedback and heat from leaders or peers that don't look like you. And then you also get it from people that do look like you that question um, your impact. And I think that that's a hard thing to manage through where these are the people that are advocating for you, even in the smallest ways that you don't know. So I just asked anyone's listening to give grace um, to those that are called upon to lead in those capacities. Um, so, as, so anyone from someone that's managing your employee resource groups <laughs> to someone that's leading the full department. I think just just give them that grace in, in doing so. And then and my gift is time. Awesome. And talk and talk about it because like I don't envy you guys at all. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you get it from all angles. All angles. You're getting smoke from everything. Everybody. So Everybody. I tip my hat to all of y'all and be like not it. Um, yeah. So, but you are a huge supporter, and that's the thing. I think. I think that. I think one thing I, I try to keep telling people too is like, you you can influence regardless of the title, right? Like you, we're all leading diversity, inclusion, and equity, right? We're all recommending people that probably look like us from marginalized groups, you know. So I think like. And, and you're supporting them. You're supporting them by showing up as a leader to join a panel because we asked you to, hey, Laura, what are you doing? Can you join this conversation? Can you meet these group of students? You know, can you um, amplify this message? So, yes, you are you are in it adjacent. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I put a toe or three in occasionally. <laughs> so... But I know how hard the work that you all do and how important it is. Yeah. And again, like in any way we can be helpful and supportive, I think it's just a it's a, a box you must do. Just check mm -hmm. it and be on. Mm -hmm. um, but so as a, you've just been such a delight. It's been so fun chatting with you. Um, you have such an amazing wealth of experience and an incredible story. Thank you so much for your candor and your humor uh, and being part of 29 Days of Magic. Yes, thank you for, first of all, for even ideating the idea and going forward with it, because I think a lot of times we have things in our minds that they go nowhere. Um, so thank you for that. And thank you for creating space to recognize um, us people that are doing the work. Appreciate you. Of course. And that is our show.